Monmouth County. So my um, office is still in Manhattan and stuff, but we've been remote for quite a bit now. So we moved down here. Oh, wow. So you go to Manhattan, you actually work in Manhattan or worked in Manhattan? So the office is still there. Yep. So I'll probably like once it opens back up, like head back once a month or something like that. But, um, but yeah. Cool. Cool. Josh. Um, we're in uh, Loganville, Georgia. It's about an hour east of Atlanta. I work in Atlanta. But... Cool. I'm in a small town called Brossard, which is a suburb of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Oh, so, uh, 10, 10 minutes out of Montreal. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we really have a, uh, a wide variety of places. I mean, covered here which is which is great too hi ashley hello so we we're live i did it <laughs> so everybody good morning good afternoon wherever you are this is a special edition of dyslexia coffee talk where i'm gonna bow out of this conversation and i'm gonna let the dads take over and you've got four Really powerhouse dads today. You've got Josh Taylor, Louis Russo, Sean Hager, and you will be moderated today by David Sussman. And with that, y'all have fun. I'm going to silence the mom voice and let the dads take over. Silencing, <laughs> silencing the mom voice is not easy. Um, no. <laughs> and as far as dads are concerned, it's not recommended. We like, <laughs> we need, we're often like, no, no, don't, don't do that. But when you think about, you mentioned that you got these four powerhouse dads and you mentioned our names and that's what's most important because we have names, but you don't know us. Nobody knows us, but we represent all the dads out there. I guarantee you that the experiences that we've gone through and we each have children at different stages, and I'm sure we'll end up hearing about that, of the process of the journey you know, we all represent all the dads. So our names don't matter, but our stories do. You know, that's, right. that's really what it's all about. But what I'd like to hear one, the first thing I'd like to hear from the dads, if you think about this voice that we hear about, this mom's voice and this dad's voice, and, uh, you know, it's okay to come out strong or hold back. You know, we don't have any rules on what we say here. Um, you know, other than keeping it clean, which for dads might be a challenge at times. But I will say, like, what would you describe the, in your house, the mom voice versus the dad voice? How would you go about describing that? And I'll, I'll share mine at the end. Anybody want to jump in? From a standpoint of like the dyslexic experience or just like? Yes, the experience with your child as it relates to the, the journey that you're on with dyslexia. Yeah, I mean, I can start. Um, you know, I think like I, I took a very um, initially sort of passive view that the schools would figure a lot of the stuff out and kind of follow a lot of the guidance that the schools were prepared to give. And then my wife, Holly, had a much stronger sort of view of it that we really needed to own a lot of the process and, and really have an agenda and, and a vision for where we wanted our son Colt to be. Uh, and then she kind of dove in head first uh, and did like a ton of research and understanding the dyslexic mind and how to nurture it and how to really get the best situation and um, education and um, 
accommodations for Colt. Um, and it was through her process and education that I started to become more educated. And once I became more educated, I took a more active role in understanding things as well. And, um, and she kind of drove a lot of the stuff in the beginning. And then one of the things we found through our process was if we do a lot of the communications together and we really show a unified front, like um, with the schools and with like advocating for him and his needs that what we're able to achieve um, was pretty powerful really. Um, but it took me a little bit to kind of get on the same page, frankly, it's a bit embarrassing to say it, but um, no. that, that was a lot of our journey in the, in the early stages for sure. Well, in your case, Sean, your wife led you know, and then realize that together you've got the strength of, uh, of, a, of a team. But we needed that and you needed that. And, uh, and she did that. The first part she did was educating herself, which obviously, you know, that's, that's an important piece of the process. Josh or Lewis? Um, um, my yeah. story is, sorry, sorry, Josh. No, well, go ahead, please. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Uh, my story is very similar to Sean's in that I uh, didn't know much about dyslexia when Benjamin was first diagnosed. Uh, my wife being a resource teacher and uh, with experience in this field, uh, she really took the reins. And I, I thank God that she did because she was able to fight for, for, uh, for Benjamin at, uh, at our school. And it was... Uh, obvious that the school, uh, Benjamin School, wasn't providing the uh, the service that he needed in order to to uh, achieve success. Um, if it was on my shoulders alone, I would not have been able to do uh, what we have done for him. So uh, it took me a little bit of time before I got uh, I um, I uh, got onto the bandwagon. So the and. Um, Eventually, it became both my wife and I a fight for my, my son. And, um, and no one else will fight. No one else will, will fight for them because um, uh, many schools and teachers do not, may not necessarily know how to recognize dyslexic. Um, they don't recognize the uh, symptoms. Um, they just feel that the student may be slow or maybe um, not trying hard enough. And um, it, is, um, it, it starts and ends there. Uh, so we as parents have to fight for our kids in order to, for them to, to really achieve what they can achieve. Because we, we, we know what dyslexics are, they have so, so many abilities, but you have to fight for them to get to, to, to recognize those abilities and for the schools to recognize those abilities and for them to shine in their own, in their own way. So um, quickly, that was that was our journey. You know, Lewis, you, you talk about how the schools you find that they still don't quite know how to not only handle it, but the, how to respond and their definition of what they see and how they portray that. It's amazing how little has changed from you know the fact that all of these issues have been out in front of the school systems for so long that you would say that today, you know, my journey was 10 years ago um, with longer than that with my son, Jake. And, um, but, and it was the same issues back then about defining 
behaviors as uh, defining learning disabilities as behavioral issues, such a bizarre thing to watch happen. And then to consider the fact that it still goes on to me is like, how are we going to learn? Um, how do they learn? Where, how can they get to the point where they don't do that? But you mentioned something when you said if it was on your shoulders alone, you would not have been able to get there. You know, that's deep stuff. That's meaningful. Um, and it, it really puts our wives on a pedestal um, from that standpoint, you know, because we can be so strong and we are strong in so many ways. But when it came to this, this issue, it has nothing to do with our desire to solve it. Um, but it has to do with how do we move this thing forward? What do we do? You know, it's like our frustration, almost like we lack the words at times and we lack the process. It's like, what do we do? Let's just do something. And uh, we need that. We need that guidance from, from our wives and from that's really wonderful. So that's great um, to hear that, Lewis, that you've got that. One of the things that I've noticed as well is that like when you talk about the, the journey and the process and the fight, like even you know, for me, what was eye-opening is you kind of meet these hurdles and thresholds, like, you know, you get a certain amount of accommodations that you're really comfortable with, and, like, teachers that are assigned to him with the right, like, background and, like, learnings and stuff, and then the next year, it's almost like, you know, you obviously have some momentum that you built, but at the same time, like, there's more fights to be had and more discussions that have to have, and, like, if one parent tried to take that on by themselves, can you imagine? exhausted i mean it's impossible almost and so that's why like once you know i got on board and understand understood all the work that holly had put into everything you realize like you got to just tag team stuff sometimes too just because it just requires constant vigilance and it brings up a point um you know sean that you mentioned like women who are single moms or dads who are single dads who don't have a partner um have to fight this fight alone and I, I always recognize that as perhaps one of the most challenging struggles that anyone could endure is trying to deal with that. And so it puts us, it puts the role of being a team, you know, as an important place. And I think you, by you saying that, it's so true. Um, so true. Like this is important too, like a resource that somebody that may be on their own realizes, you know, just different perspectives and things to hear just may help other people through the process, you know. Josh, how about you? How did how did uh, how did it go for you? Um, I mean, a lot of it in the beginning was just uh, behavior issues with Sawyer. Um, we didn't. Uh, I think maybe I was ignorant about dyslexia, and I um, also did the same. I kind of trusted the schools to fix, like thinking that they were doing the right things that the teachers wanted to help. And I don't think that they necessarily always have the tools to do that. Like maybe they do want to help. Um, I went to the first meeting with uh, Sawyer's teacher and completely listened to everything she said. And I thought that everything was okay. He's just a little bit slow. Um, my wife, Lauren, she started digging into it more and um, really kind of started getting him testing. Um, I took a while for me to, I guess, get on board i don't say get on board but like i kept thinking oh no he'll be okay it's just you know it's nothing um i tend to do that and uh eventually you know uh she went to her first iep meeting i wasn't able to make it because of work and um 
she after that meeting decided and told me she's like i need you as support at home i don't want you going to these meetings because you're going to throat punch somebody (laughs) (laughs) so i ended up kind of being more behind the scenes and trying to take care of sawyer um i guess psychologically like developing um understanding things that maybe he couldn't understand whereas she kind of tackled the front of uh going after the schools um ended up with a lot of ip meetings um some stuff that we had to sign an nda about (laughs) um but he's getting taken care of now um you know she's the loud one i'm always kind of the mellow more reserved one and um basically i've taken it to just trying to support her um because she's actually taken upon herself to advocate for a bunch of other children too wow so you know, I pull in the uh, slide. Yeah, um, you know. My wife is texting me now. Speaking of support, she was talking about when um, I think She's he was being bad. She caught him being bad all the time. And I told her that, you know, the kid's just craving attention. Maybe you should try catching them being good. And she started catching the kid Sawyer being good. And the behaviors stopped completely. He was just looking for attention. You know, I think he was feeling a little left behind. You know, Josh, you talk, you say a few things that stand out also, I think, that resonate with so many people. Um, First, you said schools with no tools. You know, here we are, we rely on them and we think we we go through life thinking like the places we go with our our institutions that they've got it. You go to a hospital, they're going to fix you. You know, you go to, you know, the the police system, they're going to protect you. And the schools are going to educate you. And what you you just said is that when it came to our children, they did not have the tools. And so your and your words actually give them a pass in a sense. Not that we do give them a pass, but it's like there's their excuse. They don't have the tools. That's not acceptable. That's their excuse. It's sort of like a golf game. You know, it's like we show up, got to have a good excuse to play golf. You know, that's not a good excuse when it comes to our kids. And you all, you talk about them being ignorant and that is unfortunate. Um, where are they going to learn? Uh, you know, you, have, you, want to, you want them to not have that. Ignorance is not a defense when it comes to our children and their education. And I'm speaking, I'm not speaking out of line. I know we all feel that. We all agree with that. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about the speed of which you got on board, I think that 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 speaks to um, a lot of men, you know, uh, and it's sort of tough to say when you, you when you when your son is born and you're holding your child and your child is literally minutes old, everything is in front of them and you see it all. It's it all like comes through your face instantly. My son, the fill in the blank. And that story that we, that we hold our son with has the promise of the entire world and whatever we do to fill in the blank, that's what it is. And life is actually about stuff being crossed off the list, which, by the way, is okay. You know, we didn't necessarily think that was okay at the beginning. And the fact is, is that whatever our children become is wonderful and incredible. But we, as, as guys, we don't think like that. You know, we're like, we've got this thing planned out. You know, my son is going to 
he's going to be a basketball player. If he wants to be my friend, he's got to do that. I mean, come on. And, uh, you know, when my, when, when Jacob, um, was on the basketball court at the beginning and I was leaning up against the wall and I was sitting there. I remember it was in third grade and I was sitting there watching and I'm like, Oh boy. Um, I don't think this is where he should be watching him do his thing out there, you know, and that was just one of those moments of, of truth and, and our lives start to change and we start to realize how absolutely incredible our children are. And it's just not that definition that we walk, that we hold in their, their in, in our arms when, when they're born. Um, for me, you know, I, I probably fit the mold of, uh, at the beginning, I was like, you know, it was in third grade that, or second grade, we started to see stuff happening with Jacob. And um, I was like, you know, listen, Lor, um, I've got to bust my butt working and you've got this. Okay. It's, I had no idea like what this was, but it was like, okay, we've got uh, young, whatever. They have these different definitions of like where he fits in. And I'm like, okay. Um, so you've got this, right? And so it was second grade, it was third grade, a couple meetings, I got to work and I wasn't a part of all that early stuff. And I remember being pulled in. It's like, she's like, you got to come to this meeting. And I was, it was a little bit annoying um, because it was in the middle of the day. I did not put the importance on it. I didn't even understand it. Um, and she did. And a couple years go by and when he transitioned from grammar school to middle school, he had, and you talked about, I think Josh, somebody mentioned how all these plans were in place, but the following year, everything got thrown away. I forget which one of you guys said that. Fifth grade to sixth grade, that was a freaking disaster because everything went away. There was zero continuity of all the work. Grammar school was actually awesome. And Lauren, was hitting it and it was good. And I was doing my thing as being a part of it, but it blew up in sixth grade and she couldn't handle that. It actually got really, really bad. And I stepped, I stepped forward because I needed to be in front and she, and it became this thing. Like she actually really couldn't emotionally handle how bad it got. And we act, we took Jacob. We, it was in December. We pulled him from school. He was in a, dangerous situation um, personally and with his with the teachers and with the students and it was like he wasn't coming out of the bathroom in the morning he was a paper problem during the day and the the principal was saying you need to do behavioral therapy and it was and then you had like professionals saying he needed to be drugged up on different types of drugs and different things and I was like hold on so I stepped forward and then for the rest of our experience, we actually realized that it was this tag team scenario. Sometimes I couldn't handle it. Sometimes she couldn't handle it. And so that is where the teamwork really came in. And, um, you know, that, so I just wanted to say like getting to that, to that point is, uh, is key. Um, now, so that sort of rounds out that any closing comments on that particular topic before we move to the next thought around our, our kids? The only thing that was jumping out to me is like one of the crazy things, is like there's so many similarities in our experience in dealing with like the school system and like the inertia around like wanting to help the kids and just not having the right like 
know if you want to call it like certifications or, or awareness about like dyslexia or whatever, but you know, it's like one in five kids have it. It's not like it's a small population of folks. And it's amazing like how many of the similar stories you hear, like, you know, as you run across the kids that have dyslexia and parents trying to figure it out and you help them along the way and all the different school systems that are involved in it and stuff like that. It's just it's a bit amazing to me. Yeah. And and I want to I want to separate myself from the particular diagnosis of dyslexia. Jacob did not have dyslexia. Um, he had, and I guess once you have something, you always have it, like a series of things. It was a, a like a soup, a, yeah. a vegetable soup of, of crap that they would say he's got this and he's got this and he's got this and he's got that. You know, and I'll never forget hearing it. And I was just sort of confused. And the thing I couldn't remember, I mean, thing I couldn't, will never forget is the, um, is this professional who did all this diagnosing. She said, look, you know, I don't know. College is out of the, like college is out of the question. I mean, really getting through school is going to be a challenge. Having friends is going to be your biggest concern and communicating, you know, is going to be even a bigger concern. Now that right there sort of said, your son is all these things. Uh Mm. And so when you hear dyslexia and all of the work that all of the different issues that are associated with it, or whether there are these other learning issues that are associated with it, I believe that we're all in the same boat. And, and so, I mean, I'm good. I just wanted to let you know, like, I appreciate the dyslexic journey um, as much as it's any journey of, uh, of an individual who has a learning issue. And we're all in the same, we're all in the same place with the emotion around parenting. Um, you know, there is a, I guess I want to mention, um, let's, let's step outside of the school for a second. Let's, let's go around our, our homes and like how that experience is in the home. And maybe there could be some conversation around, you know, parenting as a dad, you know, how do we work in the home? Um, and what are our philosophies on managing the relationships? Maybe, well, let's talk about, we have relationships with our child who's got an issue. You've got other children who, if you have other children who don't have particularly or have other issues and you've got your wife, you've got your spouse. So let's just, let's like bang out some thoughts on how do we handle the the home environment? I think one of the things we did initially, and it was funny because we had a difference of opinion, and I don't know if it's men and women or whatever, but you know, Colt got sort of officially diagnosed, and then we started delving into what we wanted to deal with. And I, I took a more passive role in how like we use that information to parent him. Like, okay, like let's get him the help that he needs, but like don't necessarily need to highlight to him, like let's just sort of shelter him from what's going on, but just get him the help that he needs and um and whatever. And then Holly took a very different view of it. And she was like, no, like, you know, let's have him own it. Let's uh, explain to him like how his brain works and the beauty that's in his brain. And let's highlight like all the successful people that have a similar diagnosis to his. And I, I quickly sort of changed my view and aligned myself to way that she thought. And then when we first started talking about the diagnosis with Colt, it was in a very like, beautiful way where we highlighted like 
you know, the world needs brains like yours. And like, look at these people that have done like amazing things and accomplished amazing things. Now your journey is probably going to be and feel different and maybe even harder in some respects than some of your peers, but um, your ability to accomplish things and do things and learn is all there. We just have to, de- you know, your brain needs to decode things in a different way, but you have this amazing way that you're going to view and see the world and then Colt took that to a new level because one of the things like he struggled with uh initially because we got like all these accommodations in the IEP and everything felt like really good but he was getting pulled out of school all the time so his ability to make relationships with other kids felt constrained and difficult and then because Holly had that view of really making everything very positive is Colt was able to like explain to kids what was going on and why his brain was different and why he was getting pulled out. How old was he? How old was he when he was doing that? So then it was, I think he got, he's 11 now. I think he got diagnosed at like seven. So it was probably like around eight or nine, but he would do like presentations to the class, like in the beginning of school to say like, I'm getting pulled out, but here's why I'm getting pulled out. And here's what's going on. Here's how my brain works. And here's all the really cool people that have a brain like mine, you know? And, um, and it was, you know, through Holly, like setting that vision and then us talking about it and getting online and stuff like that, that we were able to come up with a game plan and then communicate that with Colt and then sort of take things from there. And then it was also good because he has an older brother that's not dyslexic and, uh, and using it as a way to explain things to him as well, you know, so. How'd the um, relationship with how the attention or relationship with his older brother play out during that process of having to put the attention around Colt? He did a really good job with it. Um, he didn't mind that like there was a lot of attention uh, for, for him and what Colt was going through um, and was really supportive the whole time. So, and we made sure we made like special, like there would be weeks maybe where he didn't get the level of attention that, uh, he needed, but and we would be cognizant of that and try to make it up at different periods and stuff. But that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Lewis, Josh, any? I'll I'll go ahead and second what Sean said. Um, <clears throat> we we as a society we tend to once we get a diagnosis, we tend to focus on um, the negatives of that diagnosis. So dyslexia comes with all these. Uh, hurdles that our kids have to have to go through. So reading is 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 an issue. Um, socializing is an issue. Language is an issue. We go to these uh, meetings with our with their teachers, and we're focusing on the negative, 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 negative. And I think it's very important that we as parents show our kids the positives of being uh, dyslexic and. The, uh, the amazing abilities that they have because of their dyslexia, uh, because they're going to feel the negative at school on a day, a day in, day out basis. Um, they see it. They're very smart. They know that they're struggling to their peers and they know that they're different. Um, so if they spend five, six hours a day at school, five days a week, uh, week after week after week, getting that negativity, saying I'm not, uh, I'm not good enough, I'm not keeping up with my peers. Uh, imagine if they came home and then continue to receive that negativity from us. Well, we have to, we have to get you reading at a certain level. We have to, right. you have to work harder to, 
to to read. Uh, so, um, from my uh, and and when Benjamin was diagnosed, I as his dad, I I thought that if we only work hard enough, you just have to put in the hours, uh, buckle up, and let's start working hard. And um, it was it wasn't a good experience between my son and I. So when I kind of took the position of, well, I'm going to let uh, the schools and my wife fight the educational battle, and I'm going to help uh, where I can with the emotional. And I'm going to sh- make sure that he knows, Benjamin knows that he, uh, he is um, amazingly bright, may not necessarily be a, um, a, 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 when we, 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 we think of a student that's being uh, bright and exceptional uh, because they read at a certain level, you're not there, but you have so many other skills and look what you can do in this area and look what you can do in that area. So it was very important to me to focus on those areas when we came home. That's, that's beautiful. You know, hurdles becoming positive, you know, all these hurdles are filling his day, his work day, his school day, and you're trying to create a haven at home. You know, I see that. I totally get that. Josh? Yeah, I've been much the same way, trying to make a haven um, <clears throat> for Sawyer when he gets home because he uh, he got a lot of trauma from the teachers um, expecting him to be a certain way or maybe he didn't feel smart enough because of his dyslexia. I mean, he ended up getting diagnosed with uh, PTSD when he was, in, you know, because of the teachers and trauma and he was harming himself. He was picking at his nails, his lips would come, he'd come home bleeding on his lips. Um, he's just a ball of nerves. Uh, we ended up pulling him from private school because of the PTSD and ended up pursuing, uh, uh, I'm sorry, public school and went to private because of that. And, uh, you know, he's been there for a couple of years now. We've seen a lot of, I guess, growth seeing him being a kid and enjoying being a kid again because he's around a bunch of kids that are the same as him. Um, you know, we, we were worried for a little bit because we kind of felt like we were losing our son a little bit to the trauma. Um, you know, he's, he's such a special kid. I mean, it's hard to, it was hard for me for a long time too, to look at him and say like, you know, he's got an LD or whatever. You know, it's a whole soup of things like you were saying, like, dyslexia dysgraphia expressive receptive right you know list goes on you know every time like even before this whole zoom meeting i'm asking my wife i'm like what's everything he has again because i never remember it it's just a list does it really matter it doesn't it doesn't not to me but like it doesn't to me but i was worried i was going to come on here and be like okay all these dads are going to know everything and i'm going to be the clueless guy so we don't know know more emotional support than anything know anything we just have a heart and i feel (laughs) yours i mean the truth is is that you know when you're looking at your child and all you see is fear anxiety and stress and you realize that there's nothing they can do when they experience that they can't do anything at school or at home or with friends or so their whole world comes to an end when they're filled with fear, anxiety, and stress. Josh, your son had the physical manifestations of what happens during that time. And I know there are lots of parents and families 
kids who are dealing with, with that same thing. And you, you did, you know, you and I have something in common. I pulled my son out uh, of public school uh, and, mm -hmm. in sixth grade in December with nowhere to go. And he was at the very bottom, same thing as you, very bottom of the spectrum of fit, feeling like anything. He had zero, he had zero like personal belief in himself and all that confidence. So we ended up, there was no school that would take him. Every school around, you know, was closed. They were full. So we're mm -hmm. like, and it was this real moment where we were, where we didn't get a lot of support pulling him out of school. I mean, that sounds sort of radical. Um, and we ended up putting him in a school um, where it was this tiny little school and it, it was, we didn't even care about grades and didn't really care whether it was what was going on. He went to a Hebrew school um, where half the day they spoke Hebrew. He didn't speak Hebrew. He didn't know. He doesn't know how to read Hebrew or speak Hebrew. It was, and it was just a place. It was like seven kids in the grade. And it was about these, is more important that he, that kids are nice to him than any grade. He didn't, he, for that year, he didn't learn a thing. It wasn't, I didn't even care if he, he didn't do, have to do any homework. I didn't care about anything. I was only worried about him having, feeling like a boy, feeling, did not coming home and freaking out, wanting to go into the classroom. And they treated him so well. They treated him so well. They saved his life. Cause I didn't, we, and he didn't learn a thing that it wasn't about school. So that type of move, Josh, that you did, and then had to advocate and fight and get him into the right place. That's the kind of stuff that goes on out there when nothing is working. And that's why we moved to North Carolina is to get Colt in school. So when COVID hit, like a lot of the teachers that have the certifications, they either got reassigned or they quit. And, um, you know, if you don't nurture the brain, when you start that process, you can regress really fast. And so Colt started to lose a lot of the momentum that he had. And we had moved to the Northeast from Florida and we had looked into a dyslexic specific school in North Carolina when we were there. And when things started to get really bad um, up there for him, we called that school up and they had a spot that we had to sort of move right away. And so I talked to my work and luckily they were super supportive of everything, just considering everything that was going on. But yeah, I mean, there's, and we have a lot of friends that have left states and gone to different states and found That's different jobs, you know, I mean, it's they, great. They go where they need to go for the, the, ch the child um, and to sort of speak to the family and, uh, I think about, I always say 95-5, 95-5, you guys will get this. My son, Jake, whenever he's in the room, and he's probably watching this, and he knows this, he takes up 95% of the air all the time. He's 26 years old. He still takes up 95% of the air. It's a little different <laughs> now than it was then, but um, that's, what our, that's what our kid, our child does. So now what about Jake has two siblings? He's got a brother and a sister. And so what do we do in this situation? Well, you know what? They work through this. And let, let it be known that his sister, she needed attention and she let us have it when it was time. And his brother, he found a way, the youngest, he found a way to make sure we knew the, the things that he needed. And I think love 
is sort of like gas in a room. You know, it fills the room. Um, we will give our children, they, but they do have to realize, and they do realize the type of attention that's needed during those tough years. Um, and so along the way, though, they, I don't know if you've got children, if you want to comment on it. I'll just say that my other two children, they are, they are normal kids who needed just as much attention as anyone. And because we gave Jake 95% during a lot of times, they found a way to get our attention. And we had, a, we had to find a way to give it to them. How about you guys? I've been lucky. Well, no one say lucky enough. We haven't dealt with that yet because uh, Sawyer is now 12 and our other kids three. So she, she's fine with whatever. Well, um, just prepare. Just get ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I too haven't really dealt with that. Benjamin has a younger sister and she's very supportive of Benjamin as well. Um, so we haven't luckily haven't received that rebellion side of her yet. So, but we are counting the days. I'm sure it's coming. Let me let me correct. It's not rebellion that I'm I'm throwing out here because it, in a family that's super supportive and his brother and sister were, it's just as normal kids. You know, your children are going to need you, and you're always going to be pushing your attention because you have to, and things are going to have to go with your child with a learning disability a certain way. And you'll find the way to be able to give your other children the attention they need, you know, and, and if you, I do believe that close families, you can avoid the rebellious stage, Lewis. And, you know, some people I'm sure do have issues with that. That's got to be normal in a lot of cases. Um, I didn't experience the rebellion as much as death, just the, the kid issues. Sean, how about you? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, Cole's brother, when we were hitting a wall, we obviously made a family decision to make a move, but I mean, he, he made the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, like he loved the school that he was at in the Northeast. I mean, he loved his friends. He literally was so excited to go to school every day. And I remember like, we're like, okay, like we can figure this out. We can get through this. No problem. We picked him up the last day of school before we moved down. Um, Cause they were in and out of school, but there was a point where they were in school and literally the whole his whole class was running after the car as we left. And oh. I remember Holly and I looked at each other. We're like, uh, are we going to be able to get through this? Like, is it gonna be? I mean, it was tough, you know? And, um, and you're right. Like we didn't have like a roadmap or a game plan. It wasn't like, okay, like let's take care of Colt and get him in this school because that's going to be really great for his development. And then we're going to do X, Y, and Z in order to make sure his older brother Chase is taken care of. We were just like, we're going to surround him with love and we're going to put the same amount of effort into finding a school that's good for him and a full awareness that he's going to have. He's going to take time and need some nurturing and extra love because he's going to have to find, you know, another circle of friends again, and he's going to have to find his way. And so um, we put a lot of effort and energy into like, he loves basketball. So finding like, once we found a school, like, okay, well, during the summertime, what is the basketball league that feeds into that school? So we can meet some kids and, and um and know people before day one or whatever it's just small examples like that though you just you find a way to make everybody important and and we found too that it was just like communicating as much as you can like talk to them and not take one word answers um really sort of drill down into okay like how are you feeling like he'll always be like oh, i'm good 
I'm good. Everything's good. And we're like, okay, well, why is it good? Like, have you met some people? Have you met some friends? And then sometimes you'll be like, okay, like, it's not that great, actually. And here's why it's not great. And then we can say, okay, let's work together to try to figure this out. You know, like, how can we, as a parent, do things to get you in a position to help streamline things or move things along? You know, you know? You know the, um, I guess I want to bring up a topic. I was I had a couple of points here that we can lead into. We all know that kids who have learning issues struggle and there's a certain propensity of children who have learning issues to end up in trouble um, as they get older. That's, that's a reality that we are, we're faced with. So when our children are young who and they're facing the issues that they're facing, it doesn't, it has to cross our mind along the way. How do we make sure or lower um, the chances of our child getting involved with, you know, drugs, alcohol, things that really get them in trouble. That's a real, that's a real challenge that we're faced as parent that we're facing as parents. And, you know, so my son being 26, he's been through a lot of the years where he could have gone down the road of having a, having a real problem, um, you know, and, um, I wanted to make I wanted to make sure to hear about you about your thoughts around how do you how do you think about giving your kids um, more of that you know that that path towards something that's super positive. Have you, have you thought about that as we go down the road? I mean, I've thought about it. Um, you know, uh, actually, just. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we lost a friend of drugs that was uh, a dyslexic child, didn't get support. And we've kind of, we've tried to give Sawyer as much support as we can, hoping that he feels like he doesn't need to turn to something like that. Um, you know, I know it's a possibility and I try to I don't know, educate him, tell him about it because we've had family members that have struggled with it and my computer just went off. Wait, there we go, sorry. <laughs> I see you, Josh. You okay, see. my whole screen went dark for a second. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, give him support and try to make sure that he feels, I don't know, like he's getting everything he needs as much as we can. I mean, that's really all I gotta say. Else? Yeah, I, I agree that I, I agree with that as well. Uh, there's no there's no roadmap to use. Uh, there's no there's no one set of rules that we must follow. We kind of try our best to support them as much as possible, and hope that uh, what we do is is going to help them out, and and they'll become uh, successful and uh, contribute to society in, in their own way. And uh, they have the abilities to do that. And it's important that they realize and know that they have the abilities to do that. Good point, really good point. I think kids just anymore these days are so exposed to everything. I'm sure every generation of parent feels the same way, but it's like, you know, my wife and I say all the time, kind of lose your innocence like pretty early these days, just through like you know, phones and TV or whatever it is. I mean, I think you just like, I find that you have conversations a lot earlier than I remember having them like when we were growing up. And that's just one of the things that we've done is you just have conversations about 
things early? Like, why do people turn to drugs? And what do they do? And why do you want to avoid those situations? And what does it feel like, you know, just sort of conceptually, if you're at a party and you want to make friends with people and that situation comes up, like, what are ways you can deal with it? And try to, like, create scenarios that you can talk to about them, about, you know, some of those tougher subjects. And we just hope through loving them and trying to get them in a positive environment like you guys are talking about as you can and then have an awareness about things for when those moments come up and you're not there um, that you hope that you built that strength up for them uh, to be able to navigate it. And every one of our kids has some sort of like love, a super, we, we call it a superpower. It's like, what is it that they gravitate towards? What is it that makes them special? Can you talk about your kids about their superpower, like the thing that they gravitate, it could be anything, you know, Jacob loves piano or he, he did, he like did triathlon stuff or different things like that. Anything out there that you feel your children, and by the way, that's the stuff that helps them stay away from getting into trouble when they love something and they just do it. And we support that. Anything out there that you've seen with your children? I mean, Sawyer's got the biggest heart of any person I've ever met. I remember taking him out when he was eight years old for Halloween trick-or-treat and he wanted to get home early because he wanted to give his candy out to the trick-or-treaters, you know, and it's just, he amazes me constantly, the compassion that the child has. Um, other than that, I mean, his, I guess his talent's video games because that's all he ever does. That's good talent. <laughs> yeah. Any other superpowers would, that you do that kids? Go ahead. I would, I would say my son is really strong in the arts, uh, but he too is very, very um, um, connected to others, other people's emotions. And I think he really feels other people's emotions. So he's, uh, I think he's really able to connect in that, at that level. And um, so, but I, I think um, a lot of dyslexics have these superpowers that they may not necessarily know they have them yet. And it's important to try to, try to um, have them um, find their, their special ability. And, and uh, once we find it, I mean, they are passionate, they are uh, all in it and want to do as much as possible. So um, yeah, it's important to find their, their superpower as, as much as possible. And as a dad, then we support that no matter what it is. You know, it's like, we've got to really lean in and give them that opportunity to run in that direction, you know, cause they need that. And, and I think that having a big, it's interesting, their compassion towards others. I mean, they're the, and they're exposed to a lot of pain and maybe that helps them, them get that. You know? Yeah, so actually, um, he had a goal uh, that he had to write for a school meeting. And one of his meetings was he wanted to be friends with everyone because he didn't want anyone to feel lonely. And I think that's probably from how he felt, you know? I think it's like you said too, David, in the beginning, it's like the strength as a parent or a father or whatever to not like try to impart your definition of what you wanted them to be into what they find energy and what they get strength out of, you know, because I was guilty of that too, like when the boys were younger and then you realize like even the siblings are so different, you know, one from the other. And it's in, like letting them, giving them the space and freedom to find those superpowers and being cool, like if it evolves you know from one year one moment to the next and 
and embracing like all the experiences and moments that they can get out of things is uh is beautiful and Colt is the same way I mean like he just has a, a great heart like he uh has this amazing power to speak in front of people and like he's always had it like he, you know when he was really young like he could get in front of huge groups and just own a microphone and so like he did acting for a little bit and then it was very intense and tiring and so like he's transitioned into um getting in the water quite a bit we live near the ocean so he's, he's learning how to surf and, and he's on a dive team and goes swimming but you know one of the things I was really proud of him for is like when he started getting pulled out for the IEP stuff he got bullied there was one kid in particular that was it was emotionally like really tough for him and trying to give him the skill set to deal with it and make sure the school was understanding of what was going on and supporting them and then we finally got the situation rectified and then a month later he came home and he was like yeah they, they got me on this like lunch group for kids that like don't treat other kids right I try to help them understand like how that's received and how they can do better and it was taking that superpower that he had as a being able to speak to people and talk objectively and stuff and, and use it for good. And he's really good about trying to find stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. If you think about it, do you know they, there was this poll and it, people said more people would, people were more afraid of public speaking than they were of death. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm, I heard I'm horrible at that. <laughs> so people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy it's like you want to be you talk about how people or people want to be it's like so your son has something really special you know being yeah. so willing to jump out there and to be putting themselves out and so here we are like we're adults we're dads you know we are we are supposed to have it all but yet you know we, we realize in this conversation that man, we were like trying to figure it out as we went. Um, so if you were sitting here now talking to yourself or, you know, your younger self who before you had any children and you were to try to give yourself some guidance and maybe it's guidance to the dads out there, this is going to be a two-part question. Number one, what would you say to yourself? And number two, what would you say to your wife about about a dad, about yourself, about being a dad in this situation. So one is, what would you say to yourself and what would you say to your wife? I think the first thing like I would, I would say to myself is like, you're not, don't be so arrogant to think that you're gonna fix everything right away. Like, like you said, like lean in and learn and be flexible and understanding throughout the process because it's not going to be something that like you can solve with a phone call or an email or something that can necessarily happen right away. Like sometimes like, you know, you want these like instant results and move on to the next problem and like what else is going on and what else can I help with or solve or whatever and things like this, like it doesn't work like that. Like you just need to educate yourself as much as you can and embrace the process and know that it's going to be work. And so, you know, what I would say to my wife, um, as you have that reflection and that understanding is that like, I'm here for you and I want to work together to figure this out. And our power as a team is, uh, is unstoppable really. And, um, it's through that awareness and helping each other out and communicating when you're tired or when I'm tired, and how can we, navigate these situations or things that come up together. Um, it's really a way to 
you know, take this process that can be draining and use it as a means to get closer to one another as well. I love that. That's really well said. That's really well said. Guys? Um, I would say that don't try to solve the problem. Uh, we as dads, so we as men, we really see a problem in hand and we want to try to solve, find a solution and solve it. And uh, like Sean said, go on to the next problem. But uh, dyslexia is not something that we can solve. And when I realized that um, I wasn't going to fix the problem and maybe uh, not going to resolve the problem uh, by working hard, and um, I, um, I realized that my, my part in this, in this journey is to support and um, do my best with my capabilities to do that. So, um, which is a big, which is a big uh, change or, or difference than what I'm used to in my regular life is just solving, trying to solve the problem and then moving on. But, um, or maybe not even thinking it, uh, of it as a problem. Maybe, you know, just abilities that are not, um, not your everyday abilities. And then maybe just focus on those different abilities and make sure that they know that they can thrive with those. How about your How about your wife at the beginning of this journey? Uh, she was she was the rock of the family. Uh, she was absolutely the rock, and um, she she was able to take all um, um, to manage his education, uh, to fight. Uh, she knew who to fight with and how to fight. And really, she, I, I wrote I wrote her coattails, and I just went for the ride, and I tried to absorb and, and learn as much as possible along the way, and try to support her uh, in the fight that we were facing. Um, but uh, absolutely, I, I I give her full credit for what uh, she has done and what we have gone through as a family. So um, maybe maybe ninety nine percent of the of the work is on her was was on her shoulders, and um, I took uh, I, I supported where I could. Well said. I think um, I probably tell myself to maybe question things more. Don't think that like I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe I hindered the process just because I trusted people to have my kids' best interests at heart. And, um, you know, I don't, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. I question it, you know, but then again, like at the same time, I tell my wife all the time, like, you know, you can't beat yourself up for not knowing soon enough. Um, so I don't know, maybe I tell myself something along those lines. I mean, that's yep. kind of neither here nor there. I think my wife, I would tell the, um, listen to your instincts don't always listen to your husband <laughs> when you say things are going to be fine you know maybe just uh go for it you know i uh i mean she has now you know? those the the instincts of our of our wives is just you just nailed it josh they've yeah. got it they know they know things um you know i want to end with one question um because i've had you know this reflection being where I'm sitting and I, I see you guys with your children, they're younger, 
um, than my child who's, who's gone through it. And Jake has taken, and I'm so proud of him, he's taken to helping kids who learn differently um, transition. And he actually has started a really a consulting company and he mentors children just who are in the same spots that your children are in. And it's amazing to see. Um, and he's had his, his rough spots. He's fallen. He's gotten up. I've spent a lot of time saving him. Um, Lauren and I, that was our mission. It sounds, come on, guys. This is like what our mission is. We want to save our children. And when our child with learning issue is struggling, we step in. And that's what we want to do. So I've spent um, his life doing that. So my question to you as you're at this point, and uh, where do you see the difference between saving and letting our children fall and learn? The falling and learning versus jumping in and saving. What's your philosophies on, on that sort of, on that thing that we're dealing, that we deal with as parents? I mean, for me, like I see it as levels. I think that there, there are bits that like, uh, as a parent, I think in, in our situations with learning differences that you have an obligation to influence. So like, you know, they need certain accommodations and they need certain things, uh, teachers with certain credentials in order to make sure that they're taught in a way that their brain can digest it and decode things in the way that they need to. And then there's just, once you get those things in place, there's natural evolution and failure and, and things that go throughout the education process, you know, and the life process, you know, I mean, um, it can be sports or school or whatever. And those situations, like once you've got them in a position to succeed, then, you know, they need to learn through failure as well. So, you know, I think that there's a balance where you can't step in and do everything for them. They got to get good grades or get bad grades. And what do they learn from that experience? And then, um, but if they're in a position where they're enabled to succeed, then let the process sort of flow from there, I think. That's a good answer, guys. We want to protect our kids uh, against pain, against failure. We, we cast a, a big net under them, and we want to be there for them, you know, every time that they experience failure. It's normal. Um, but they're going to have experiences in their life where we're not going to be there to, to cast that net. And they're going to learn probably more from those experiences than uh, that the times when we are there just to, to catch them. But catching them is okay too. Um, helping them not face that pain is, is okay too. And I guess every situation is, is going to be different. And um, we're always learning, you know, should I, should I have helped out in that situation or, or shouldn't I? Uh, should he um, should he have um, learned a life lesson in that situation? Um, I don't know. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer there. Uh, we try our best to support and, and 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 be there for our kids when they when they feel pain. And um, you know, we do our best. We're not we're not perfect. We're we're human. So yeah. nicely said, Louis. Well, well put. I mean, I just try to, I don't know, be a happy place for Sawyer. Um, you know, we try to keep as much in touch with the school and 
So we can nowadays. Uh, we work as a team. We've been the private school at Sawyer's End's actually been great for that. Um, small classes. Uh, we, I mean, I don't know. We joke a lot. We try to, uh, I try to let him know it's okay to make mistakes. That, you know, he doesn't have to be perfect in everything. Um, even though he wants to, he's always asking me, like, dad, are you proud of me? Dad, are you proud of me? And I told him, like, you know, even when you fail, like, I'm proud of you, man. Like, you're doing everything you can, you know. Um, I don't know. No, that's great. And we're facing that stuff all the time. It really, it's, it's stuff that it really doesn't change. So the, to, let's, um, I think in closing, I think we maybe each can throw out um, either a message a thought, a final closing point that you may want to make, and then we'll uh, we'll turn it back to Ashley. Or I think we're supposed to close out. I don't know exactly what to do at the end, but what we'll do is we'll each have a closing comment, and then we'll I'll I'll we'll come we'll go off the Zoom call and we'll be done. But I have to tell you, you know, just before we start this last part, I've gotten to hear from you and I realize I've never met you, but I feel like we've been through the same thing. Literally. I, I know you guys, I know what you're feeling. Um, and it feels sort of good to hear something so similar and so familial familiar to me. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times we seem to feel like we're alone in this thing uh, where, whereas we're just not, we could be literally in other States, other countries, and we're experiencing the same, you know, frustrations and also, you know, victories. And as we go through it together, so I've really appreciated learning about you guys and your your experiences. So, before we start our final stuff, I just wanted to thank you all. It's good stuff. All right, guys, who wants to jump? Who wants to start? Yeah, I can start. I mean, I guess I'd start by thanking you, David, for uh, for moderating this. I think you did an awesome job of really helping us like flow through the topics of conversation. And I agree. Like, I felt like uh, I know you guys, even though it's the first time we've met or talked. I mean, these similar experiences have a way of drawing you in, and really, um, it's amazing how uh, the power of the similar situation like resonates, and, and you get comfort in that. You know. Um, I don't know. I mean, for a final message, I would just say like, um, it all starts with love and caring. And I think most parents have that and it can be frustrating. Like when you're trying to figure these things out and your kids and they have learning differences and, and the focus on, on love and that you're going to get through it and you just got to take some time and figure things out and trust your gut and your instincts. Like when you think something is, is just off slightly, you know, it's just, trying to figure it out and work slowly through the process and, and love everybody along the way. And, um, and you're going to figure it out. And then once you do hone in on if there is a, a difference, that there are a ton of resources out there um, to help educate you and help with advocacy or with whatever. And, um, and really finding those and, you know, there's amazing foundations and like we've, you know, found so many amazing people like through this journey and process and there's strength in that and seeking those things out to help where you don't feel like you're alone through the process is really important. Love that. Well said. There's, there's a huge community 
uh, of us. Like we said earlier, it's one in five kids who have dyslexia. Uh, it's a huge, it's a huge community that before we were, I'm sure before we were all involved in this community, we didn't know much about it. And we didn't even know that the community existed. But uh, um, we are there and we are supporting uh, each other. And um, there is a lot of resources, like Sean said, there's a lot of resources out there that, um, that you can use and, and uh, speak with others who have gone through the same situation and uh, they can help help with, uh, with your situation. So uh, uh, don't be scared to open up and uh, speak and talk about your experiences. And uh, events like this will help others. I'm sure there are many dads and moms who are watching right now who are uh, beginning their journey through this. And uh, to, for them to know that they are not alone and uh, there's uh, a lot of people out there that they can reach out to for information and just for emotional support or just for, um, you know, I'm going through this small situation. How do I, you know, what should I be doing? And uh, getting um, some feedback on that is, is uh, enormous for them. So just continue down the process and, and help, uh, help others is, is key. I would say that. Um, I think, uh, you know, you don't always have to be the one that knows everything. Sometimes, uh, there, you can be a spouse like me where I'm just like filling in where I can to help support my wife because she's the one that knows just about everything. She knows more than most people know about anything, honestly. Um, it's okay to be that person that's just a support, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know, advocacy, like I advocate by spreading awareness. Like I work in a art situ an artistic uh, area and I can't tell you how many people are like, oh yeah, I'm dyslexic. You know, um, just about everybody in my art studio is. Um, I talk to people all the time about how many kids need help. Um, I don't know, I guess I've always felt like in the shadow uh, of my wife because she's so awesome at it but I mean that's okay you know I guess that would be my oh, got a crazy little daughter coming down here <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's really I guess all I have to say so I would say that um, every year okay. that we went through this journey I thought okay. it was over okay. Every year, what worked last year didn't work this year. And we kept finding ways to do it and to keep going. And uh, each child, each one of our children, they have superpowers. And if you lean into those in the darkest times, you will be able to rise out into the light. Because all of the stuff that really pulls us all down can be lifted up by those children and the things that they love and the things that make them smile and laugh and that they enjoy. So during the toughest times, lean into those superpowers and work together um, with your wife, work together with your spouse, with your family, with your siblings, and realize that it's a journey that um, as long as you do it together, you can absolutely get through everything and anything. And um, dads, 
you know, the dads that need support should get support, but also realize that we stand on the shoulders of giants and those are our wives. They're the ones that carry the load and um, we do the best we can to keep up. And uh, that's, that's how it, that's how it always is. That's the way it needs to be. And or that's been fantastic. So, you know, I want to thank everybody, this entire community for this whole experience of doing this. It was an invitation that I was excited to take to do. And you guys were great. I love doing it with you. You guys, we've learned a lot today and um, Hey, thanks. I hope to do it again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye guys. Great job, David. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.